On June 4th of 1940, Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England in the midst of World War II, gave a speech to the House of Commons. And it was just a week or two earlier that the famous rescue at Dunkirk had happened. They had hoped to rescue 40-plus thousand uh, troops from Dunkirk. They ended up rescuing over 300,000. If you've seen the movie Dunkirk, you know how moving it is. But Churchill was concerned that Britain would be on this uh, euphoria of success that they had just had and forget that there was a massive war still ahead of them, and he knew full well that Hitler was not about ready to give up and that uh, England was in great danger. Hitler was pure evil. Uh, his plan of genocide against the Jews, world domination, and it included the destruction of England because England had partnered from the beginning with Poland. And so Churchill rallied the British through a speech in, uh, in the House of Commons and included in his long speech were these words, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Paul has that same kind of stuff for Timothy here at the end of his first letter to Timothy in chapter 6. It's as though Paul has Timothy by the shoulders and he's looking right into his eyes, face to face, up close, because there's a battle raging for the souls of the men and women in the church of Ephesus. False teachers want to make a shipwreck of their souls, and not only that, but Paul is nearing the end of his life, and so he's pouring all of his passion into Timothy, and he's wrapping up his letter. Let's read uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So I'm going to read verses 11 through 16 and then add on verses 20 and 21. Hear uh, God's word and hear Paul's passion in this battle. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. Amen. And then he says at the very end, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas and what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. There's a speech for you. 
let's not start at the beginning of this passage. I'm going to work through it, but I don't want to start at the beginning. I want to start in the middle of verse 12. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. We have to start here because the worst sermon that you can ever hear is actually where this starts, which is pursue righteousness. Uh, the worst sermon you can hear is pursue righteousness, period. It's soul crushing. It would be utterly demoralizing for a sinner. We have no way of doing that. But Christ is righteous on our behalf. Christ lived a perfect life for us in our place. He took our sin, our unrighteousness, died on the cross as if he were a horrible, filthy sinner, and he makes it possible for us to be declared righteous and then to pursue righteousness. Then to pursue righteousness. Tell me to pursue righteousness without God's saving grace in Christ. It's like being put in a spacecraft and shot into the center of the sun. Sinners are incinerated by the holiness of God. But Christ is an ark of righteousness. He, he's the spaceship. And so you and I can only come to a righteous, holy God in Christ. We can't take hold of eternal life until God takes hold of us. Paul tells Timothy, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. So everything about this passage today begins here with Christ taking hold of us and making our salvation possible. He's a gracious God. He's a loving and a tender-hearted God. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we're helpless. He mercifully and lovingly bent down toward us to save us. He's given us his dearly loved son to die for us. This passage that we're going to work our way through is full of active, powerful words. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold of. But they will crush us under a burden that we cannot lift unless we have faith in a loving and saving Christ. Anything we do is merely a response to what he did for us first. Now we can go back to the beginning. Back to verse 11. Paul has Timothy by the shoulders, face to face, eye to eye, as I said, the stakes are high. In Ephesus, the fight is for the souls of men and women who were purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the stakes are high for Paul, too. He spent two years there doing ministry with them. He fell in love with these people. His heart is really invested. And when he, when he left, he stood on the beach. Ephesus is a, is a, a beachfront city. He stood on the beach, and they're, they're crying. They can't believe he's leaving. They're so sad. And he says these words to them. Keep watch. It's, uh, he's talking to the elders, not just to, generally to the church. He's talking to the elders here. This is Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of the whole, uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, 
which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And sure enough, the savage wolves are there in the form of false teachers. And so Timothy was there to do battle. Paul here calls him man of God. He's investing in him uh, a, a very uh, solemn term that's only used once here in the New Testament, and it's used all the time in the Old Testament for, for prophets, for, for, for people of God who, uh, who were speaking for God in a special way. So Paul's putting a lot of weight on Timothy's uh, shoulders. He also starts with, but you, man of God. And the contrast is to the false teachers, because they're not just teaching uh, false doctrine, they are, they're just living uh, blatantly sinful lives. And so Paul is really calling Timothy, he's recommissioning him, live a godly life and teach the truth against these false teachers. One thing he says to him is flee from sin, pursue righteousness, pursue righteousness. I, I, I think one of Satan's more successful lies is to get us to really dislike that word, righteousness. Uh, but righteousness is good. It's good for us. It's attractive. You might be thinking, well, Tim, we're, we're, we're trying to be an irresistible church. <laughs> Uh, and the irresistible church is not full of holier-than-thou people that think they're all righteous and goody-goody types. It, irresistible churches are full of people who can show their flaws, who are real, who are approachable. And honestly, righteous, righteous people just aren't very cool. It's not very interesting. But the truth is, the world already knows where to find manipulators and cheaters, greedy and selfish, the gossips and the liars and the fakes. What's irresistible is someone who knows that they are a sinner, but who has been rescued by Christ and set on a path of life that's more characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's irresistible. That's really attractive. No, we don't hide our sins. We, we also don't hide our pursuit of righteousness in order to be attractive somehow or approachable. We show our friends what a better way looks like, even when we uh, do that imperfectly. Paul then goes on to say, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Like I said, both in how you live and in what you teach, especially against these false teachers. This is the command that runs through 1 Timothy. Paul said it first uh, in, in chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 18, fight the good fight of faith. Wage the good war uh, warfare. And this, this command really is the theme that runs throughout this book. He tells Timothy to fight because God loves the people in the church of Ephesus. He wants them to be cared for, protected, loved, shepherded, 
like Psalm 23. This is all, you know, I start by talking about Churchill World War, World War II. We're talking about fighting, but this is because God is a tender, caring heart toward his people. Timothy is the spiritual shepherd of this flock. He's going to have to fight off the wolves in order for the people in the church to be protected. And, and Timothy himself needs this speech. He's just human. This is his recommissioning, in a sense. It's a pep talk, very serious, divine pep talk. He's facing not just false teachers, but he's facing false teachers that we learn are really confident in the way they're presenting themselves. And, and on top of that, people aren't sure Timothy's old enough to really handle all this. Uh, Paul says, don't let people look down on you for your youth. He's got stomach problems. Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach. He seems to have a gentle personality. I think Titus and Timothy are really different. Um, Timothy seems to be kind of a gentle sort of a personality. Titus, Paul sends Titus as his hatchet man into the really hard situations like Corinth. Timothy needs a little bit of uh, cement in his backbone. And I think we do too. We get weary of speaking for Christ when we're the only one doing the right thing when nobody's watching, sharing our faith, being teased, being mocked. We're just wondering what people are thinking about us when we keep our mouth closed, when everybody else is gossiping. We need a war to wartime speech. And so Paul takes Timothy back to his past. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is probably uh, what Paul's referring to. It probably is his, his conversion and his baptism. Paul takes Timothy all the way back to his, his salvation and to God's grace that saved him, and it's out of that grace that Timothy now serves God. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, we're saved by grace through faith, and then, and then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're saved now do good works. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy. Take hold of that. We had a, uh, speaking of taking hold of something and not letting go, we had a Yorkshire Terrier. Has anybody ever had a Terrier? Uh, terriers can get a hold of something and not let go like crazy. Uh, they're stubborn and they're strong. We would try to get him to let go of something by putting something else in front of him. Like, and usually what he didn't want to let go of was something, instead of some food that he shouldn't have, you know, chocolate chip cookie or something. And he'd hold on to it so long he'd be drooling. He's just, you know, this cookie's just turning to mush in his mouth, but he's not going to let go of this cookie. You know, we'd put a hot dog in front of him. He'd be looking back and forth, and which one do I want the most? You just couldn't get anything out of his mouth. If you and I have a tight grip on our commitment to live for Christ, then we don't have the ability to grip anything else as tightly. Once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is <clears throat> so, so good, the other stuff is just dumpster diving for food. Once we have 
sold everything for the pearl of great price, you're not going to get hoodwinked by the plastic jewelry. You've got a hold on the thing that really matters. <clears throat> Once you've made Jesus your master, nobody's going to sell you a bill of goods saying, oh, you should follow this person. <laughs> you already know. You've got a solid grip on eternal life. I, I think treasuring Christ is the secret sauce of life. And it's irresistible. So lay hold of eternal life. And what is that exactly? Well, John tells us it's to know God. I, I would encourage you sometime when you're finished with a current uh, personal Bible study project, your, uh, whatever devotional plan that you have going, read through the New Testament slowly and write down somewhere everything you see that's amazing about Jesus. It's life transforming. Treasure Christ. Lay hold of him. Get a grip on him and don't let go. Well, uh, verse, verses 13 and 14. In the sight of God, he says, um, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you keep this command. So here Paul's restating his command. He's not being chatty and informal. Uh, he's not being Timothy's bud right now. Uh, Timothy is like his spiritual son. They're close. They've been traveling together. He just, he loves Timothy. It's so clear through Paul's letters and through Acts. But this is a solemn moment. It's kind of formal. And Paul stands Timothy up, not just in front of him, face to face, gripping him by the shoulder, but he, now he reminds him, you're standing before God. You're standing before Christ, and you're standing before God the Father. And he takes Timothy back to the example of Jesus. Uh, Pilate had said to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, it is as you say. And this was Jesus' confession of his own Messiahship. And this is what God Jesus killed, humanly speaking. And now Timothy needs to re-up his potentially risky confession that Jesus is the Messiah and to live for it and to teach out of this. Culture is against him, the false teachers are against him, and Satan is against him. And so Paul invokes Christ, and then he invokes God the Father. Verses 15 and 16, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time. And then Paul just sails off into this praise. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, God is getting bigger uh, with Paul's words, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can see, uh, no one has seen or can see. To him be glory and honor forever. Amen. The temperature has raised, the crescendo is building. Paul is now appealing to Christ and to our great, magnificent God. 
friends, we are not, I don't believe we are so fragile that we can't hear the reality that we are living our lives under the watchful eye of a powerful God. Which means two things. Christ's presence is with us to comfort, to strengthen when we feel weak and weary, to encourage us. He is a father unlike any other who knows that we're dust, that we are weak. He's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us. But we will be, well, excuse me, uh, and, and even in our sins, as forgiven Christians, he is tender toward us. But at the same time, this mighty, majestic God seated on his throne, is bringing about his sovereign will in all things, and he will judge us. We who are saved by the death and resurrection of Christ, whose sins are forgiven, will be judged not for our sins. They are separated from us as far as the east is from the west, praise God. But we will be judged for how we steward our days, how we steward our energy, how we steward the gifts that God has given us. Timothy's sphere of oversight, what he was stewarding, was this church in Ephesus. What is your sphere of oversight? It begins with yourself, for sure. Your time, your energy, these are your responsibility before a watching God. What else do you have responsibility for? Children, a classroom, part of this church? you have the opportunity with friends who are curious about God to tell them about Christ? Know that we will give account for how we spent our lives before a watching God. And then finally, Paul returns to the commissioning, the recommissioning of Timothy at the end. Let's make these the final words today from Paul to Timothy and from God to us. I think it's fitting that we just hear these words as we end and as you end uh, this series in 1 Timothy. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Let's pray together. Our great and majestic God, our loving and tender Father, we pray that you would impress into, press into our hearts, into our souls and our minds the reality that we wake up every day on a battlefield we wake up with the reality that there is an enemy prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Make us aware of the reality of life that we cannot see. Father, would you even more so make us aware of the power that is yours through the resurrected Christ 
with which we fight this battle. Oh, Father, would you please not help us to be lazy or complacent, thinking that others can fight this battle or that there's not really a battle. Would you help us, Father, to wage war against sin in our hearts with the power of Christ that is in us? And then would you help us to fight for others? Fight with righteousness and fight with truth. Father, may that be irresistible to those who are caught up in the slavery of sin, stuck in a life that is really just leading them to destruction, no matter how good it may look at the moment. Where the Community Covenant Church might be irresistible because they have a tight grip on eternal life, which is Jesus Christ himself. We pray this in his name. Amen.